So this morning, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a kingdom believer. Um, I've really been looking carefully over the last two, three months at the whole idea of what it means to be somebody who lives from the perspective of heaven rather than perspective of the world. And the two are really different. And Jesus, before he, he went back up to heaven, he, he said something really important to the disciples. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that passage this morning and try and expand it with, it with a few others. But really, the theme is that I'm looking at what it means to be a kingdom person, a kingdom believer. And so I'm going I'm to preach from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The first account I composed Theophilus, Theophilus was a, a, an official that Luke used to address his writings to, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he'd chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from this from me. John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father's fixed by his own authority. But instead, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, the principal things that Jesus is telling them there, basically he's answering this question, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Because the disciples are going, you've just risen from the dead. Is this the moment where you're going to come in authority and power and do all these amazing things and take the kingdom by force? And instead, Jesus switches the whole conversation same theme, but he answers it like this. Firstly, he proves to them that he is resurrected. And he says, basically, when people ask you, these are the things you're going to say because you've been witnesses to the fact that I've been resurrected. And then he says, and I want you to go and preach about the kingdom of God. So, in the, 40, in the 40 days or so between Jesus being resurrected and going to heaven, he does two things. He basically says, these are all the proofs that you're going to present to people about, I am who I say I am, I'm raised from the dead, and I am the Messiah that I claim to be. But the other, the, the other major component that he gave them was, the, this is the gospel that you are going to preach. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And very often we narrow down the gospel to be just something about uh, Jesus died for our sins. If you say a prayer and you give your life to him, when you die, you go to heaven. That is, that is part of the gospel that Jesus taught us to preach, but it isn't the gospel in its entirety. Jesus always taught his disciples to preach something called the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus is saying is there are two kingdoms in existence. There's the kingdom of God, and there's this kingdom that you see right in front of you, the kingdom on earth. And actually, this kingdom of God is bigger and is superior to this kingdom on earth, and it's invading. So wherever you go, that kingdom of God is on hand. That kingdom of God is here. And what he's saying is, I want you to show, and I'm trying to get you to understand how that kingdom relates to me in the victory that I won, so you can walk in that victory. And to do that, I need you to think bigger. And so it comes from that that I started thinking, well, what does it look like to be kingdom people? 
You see, one of the things, you know, if you knew this morning, you don't know this, but I, I, I've spent a long time uh, since before the summer talking about actually um, this isn't about having a meeting on a Sunday morning. That's not what makes us uh, believers. That c Coming to church and doing a great meeting is not the end goal of our Christianity. And unfortunately, um, we've got so focused on things like growth and having all the right feel and the right everything laid on that we have created a generation of believers whose whole focus is how great the meeting is on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, whichever you go to. And the rest of the week, that seems to have no impact in changed lives. And the gospel is about changing lives. The gospel is about setting people free. The gospel is about delivering people from oppression. The gospel is about uh, changed physical circumstances. It's about healing. It's about people growing to know who they are in Christ so they can walk with confidence and walk free of all the stuff that's made a mess in their life up to that point. And, and, and that's the gospel that Jesus was trying to bring. And that's, that, that's why we exist as faith life. Because we exist to be kingdom people, not world people. Does, does that make sense? And so what are the hallmarks? What, what are we looking for to be a kingdom person? The first thing that, that is really evident from the, that passage is if you are a kingdom person, if you are the sort of person that Jesus was calling to be a disciple, to be a follower of his, the first hallmark should be power. Powerful people. Because Jesus is saying to these guys who've been with him three years, seen every miracle that we've ever read about in the Bible, he's saying to them, don't, you can't do anything until I give you the power. So don't do anything without the power because that's what you're going to need. So when we try and do church, which is devoid of power, we aren't living the gospel. We're doing church. And we can easily build an organisation, a successful organisation, that can achieve many things by human effort. But it's not the kingdom Jesus calls us to build. And because of that, our nation is not impacted by the church, by the body of Christ. Because we're not living as kingdom people. Because the kingdom, the primary hallmark of somebody who is a follower of Christ should be power. That word power means a variety of things, but it means prevailing. It means formidable. It means carrying weight. You know, people recognize the weight of what you're carrying. It means might. Now, I have to ask you, are there words that, that we recognize connected with the body of Christ in our nation? Or, or do we use other words? Is that where we go? You see, the, the point I'm trying to make is that the, the hallmark of followers of Christ should be that the world can see you carry something they haven't got. And that doesn't mean you carry, oh, I'm a nice person. You know, the, as, as believers, we've tried to be nice people to get people into the kingdom. And unfortunately, this... My experience is there's a lot of nice people who aren't in the church. I, I don't know if you've met any of them, but actually some pretty nice people. So that, that, that's not the point that Jesus is making. The point that he's making is, if you were a follower of me, I want to teach you how to change lives. There's um, a guy back in, the, I don't know, the 70s, 80s, a guy called John Wimber, who became a, a believer he lived a wayward life. He was in a rock band and, and so on. And he became a believer and he started to read the Bible. And he saw, he was reading this book called Acts, all about what the apostles did with this power. And, and he saw that. And so he started going to church. And after he'd been to church a few times, he went up and he asked the minister, when do we get to do the stuff? And the minister said, what stuff? He said, well, all this stuff in here, you know, like this, 
this healing and deliverance and setting people free and lives changed and salvations and when we get to do this stuff and the guy goes well no that was that was for then we don't we don't do that anymore we have church meetings and and john wimber was so upset about that because he wanted to do the stuff that he started just doing the stuff a bit like nathan was talking about a bit like we 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 tried to do over the years as, as faith life because the point's this the kingdom is essentially a supernatural kingdom and unless we think supernaturally and demonstrate supernaturally we are not preaching the kingdom or showing the kingdom at all i didn't get that you know i, I grew up as a um, in a in a traditional church and i've been in church for it would have been seven years at that time from becoming getting saved at the age of 14 to being in my second year at university and other than the fact that this this i thought it was a thing got mentioned in something called the apostles creed called the holy ghost i had no concept that god could actually do anything my concept of god was that he's he died for me 2000 years ago and eventually i get to go to heaven and my job now is to clean my act up but i went to university and i found out about a god who operates in power so a bit like john wimber because i'd never heard this before i started praying for people and the first uh, person i paid for uh, some of you you've been told this story recently on rock solid first person i paid for was a, a girl called sally she was uh, tall she was on my course so we used to call her long tall sally because what else would you call her anyway she i, I was telling her about these things because she was a, she was a christian and i said oh, i've been reading this book and you can do this and do that and she said oh she said you know I've, I've had this back pain for years because i have a curvature of my spine and i said all right i will pray for that and then get it healed because you do so i put my hand on it and said are you okay with me doing this she said, yeah, right okay and so I put my hand on it and put my hand on her back, prayed, and you could actually feel her back realign and re-straighten. And so God is a God of power and the kingdom is a kingdom of power. And if we don't aspire or attempt to be a church that walks in the supernatural, we become a church that isn't kingdom people you see you can be a member of a church without being able to operate as a kingdom person because the job of the church the job of people like me is to try and equip people to be kingdom people and if i'm not doing that as a minister of the gospel of the kingdom i'm not doing my job properly so the first thing that kingdom people are are powerful people the second thing that kingdom people are is on a mission jesus sent these guys on a mission and throughout his life jesus kept restating this mission and he, and he kept saying the same three things all the way through and i found it interesting because I, I don't realize till i watched that video of nathan again that he actually says it but because i'd written this before we we saw that video and um, jesus said the three things that, that you guys should be concerning yourselves with, the, the, where we're heading is this. We are heading to seek and save that which was lost. Now, that's not just save the lost. It's save that which was lost. What was lost? He's talking, he, in the context, he's talking about what Adam lost in terms of authority and dominion and health and life in the garden of eden and jesus says i'm coming to seek and save every manifestation where that's gone wrong the second thing he says is this and he says this in 1 john 3 8 he says i've come for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil that tells you two things it tells you you've got an active enemy that we are meant to be working against and bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear upon but it also tells you this that we destroy the works of the devil that tells me i have more authority and more power in my kingdom than he has in his 
And, and often we can look at the news and the TV and go, well, you know, the world's going to, to, to hell in a handcart and I can't do anything about it or things are terrible at work or things are terrible in my family, I can't do anything about it. No, the kingdom of heaven is greater than the kingdom of the, hen the enemy. So the mission is seek and save that which is lost, destroy the works of the devil. And the other thing that Jesus says is your mission is love God, love others. That's number one. Love God, love others. That's our mission. That's, that's what we should be demonstrating as kingdom people. That's, that's where our heart and life should be focused. And, and, and if we're not focusing it there, we're not, king, we're not operating as the kingdom people that we were born to be. And we'll feel like a bit uncomfortable and a bit irrelevant in our, our belief and a bit like we're not achieving anything in our belief because we're not hitting the target. So powerful people, people on a mission. The third thing that, that kingdom people um, uh, is people who know who they are. They know who they are in Christ. They know who they are now they're saved. They know who Christ made them to be. Luke 17 verse 20 says this. When he's asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. In other words, you, you can't prove it or operate to a set of rules or principles and get there. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is within you. As a believer, we carry the kingdom of God within us. Because how many of you have heard this phrase, born again? Much overused phrase, sometimes underused phrase. Born again means that we are not the same now that we are Christians as the rest of the world. The Bible describes us actually as a new species of being, that we're not ordinary humans. We are people who are one with the Holy Spirit. And a kingdom person knows that, and therefore they know that whatever's going on and whatever they're facing in their life, they're not facing it on their own. And they're not facing that from a position of inadequacy that they can't do anything about. They're facing it from a position of knowing that they, the, the same spirit that Christ had is available to them. And so they're facing it from, from a position of uh, more than adequacy, more than conquerors, the Bible says. You see, this kingdom isn't a... Um, it's not something you can see except by its effects. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't see it by observation. But you can see the effects. It's a bit like the wind in the leaves in the trees. You, you might not be able to see the wind, but you can see the leaves moving and you can feel the wind. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom's like that. It, it, this spiritual reality is greater than the physical reality which we inhabit. And its purpose... Why we have access to the kingdom is to change the culture on earth. Our calling as believers is not to go to heaven. Yes, we go there one day when we die, but if our calling as believers is to go to heaven, we'd have gone. But our calling as believers is to change the culture around us. It's to affect the people we know. It's to love the people that we come into contact with. It's to love the ones in front of us. It, it, it's loving one by one and demonstrating the kingdom to others. And by that, affecting the culture in which we live. You see, the first priority of the kingdom is to change hearts. Jesus puts it by a different word. And this word causes a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, interesting practices that some of you, many of you, will have encountered in church life. Because you're quite comfortable with the concept of me saying that the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the kingdom in you is to change hearts, your own heart and the heart of others. If I rephrase that and said that the word we use to translate that same word in the Bible is repent, all of a sudden you have a different picture. Jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
But that word repent actually means change the way you think, change the direction you're going, change your heart. Now, that might involve heartache. It might involve crying out to God. But that, that's all a valid expression of a changed heart. But really what Jesus is saying is if you're going to get a handle on this kingdom, you're going to have to think differently. You're going to have to operate differently. And, and when he's saying repent, he's saying stop going in that direction and start going in the direction of the kingdom. Start going in the way that I'm showing you. Follow me instead of following the world. Believe in that which you cannot yet see to bring it into reality instead of just being knocked about, bullied about, kicked about by everything that goes on in your life, everything that goes on in your body and everything that goes on in your family. You see, the kingdom, kingdom believers know who they are and they know that they are people who are able to see things from a different perspective other than that which is just the circumstance in front of them. And when you can see things from a different perspective, you can see the answers to the problem. When you look at the problem, you can't see the answers to the problem. You need to look at it from a different way. Bill Johnson comes up with a, a really interesting, um, it's, a, it's a lovely statement. Some of us are, are in our, our mid-life groups, our life groups, our midweek groups, all choose the materials that they, they do. So there's, I think there's two or three currently doing something called Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind. And on the first of these talks, Bill Johnson makes this... Uh, I think it's a fantastic statement. He said, he said you know that you're, the way you think is changing when the impossible appears logical. When the impossible appears logical. You see, in the kingdom, the impossible is logical because God is a God of the impossible. God isn't, God isn't restricted to just what is possible to us. And that's why we can't build church and we can't build our lives as a faith life culture and, and the people in this church can't build their lives as, as, as believers on the basis of just what is, what is possible to us, either as individuals or as a group. We have to build our lives on the basis of what is possible to God. And God is a healer. God is a deliverer. God is a changer of lives. God is a saver of individuals. God is a breaker of oppressions. God is, has the ability to help you walk free from your past into your future. God is a God of destiny and not just been hemmed in by everything that's already happened to you to date. God is, a, is somebody who breaks people out of boxes that they've been put in by other people. God is a God who's, who, who when you... You've been told over and over again you can't do something. He says, yes, you can do it because I can do it with you. That's the sort of God that we need to, to be there for. We, we, the church is meant to see the impossible, to believe for the impossible, so the impossible happens in the possible. And no, I can't repeat that. <laughs> <coughs> but it'll be on the talk. That's why, that's why faith life came into existence. That's why we're here. That's why we moved to this building because we're believing for the impossible. We're believing for community to be changed. We're believing for a city to be changed. That might not seem possible because we ain't the biggest church in Cambridge. We aren't the richest church in Cambridge. But I have a God to whom all things is possible. And he's not dependent on my budget, my church's income, or the size of this church. The only thing he's dependent on is a group of people who'll believe him for the impossible. And that's, that's why we exist. Um, there's um, a lady in our congregation, so I'm not going to look that way, I'm going to look this way. But <laughs> you, you can attest to it if, if you... What, but I could have used any one of hundreds of examples. In fact, I've got, I've got several examples written down there, and I've decided to go for the one that would be least embarrassing, depending on who turned up this morning. <laughs> and so don't look at Anna Lindsay at this moment. <laughs> but um, a few years ago now, Anna brought her mum along to uh, Faith Life. Uh, her mum lived in Italy, and her mum was a doctor a very highly qualified doctor. And she was quite elderly at this stage, and she um, 
had been having a lot of problems with her neck and her spine. So when she came, she was basically about four inches shorter than she had been in her youth, but all very twisted up. Ten inches shorter. Ten inches shorter, okay, ten inches shorter. So she had a lot of spine problems. And on the morning that, that she came, did she come one week or two? Two weeks. We, we prayed for her, and, and Anna was praying for her. And what happened was that as she has been prayed for, her uh, spine and neck straightened, just like unravel. Now, the funny thing is, she didn't feel anything, but the big giveaway is, is these things here called earrings. And instead of looking up at Anna's earrings, she started to look down at Anna's earrings and realised that something had happened. That all that spinal problem that she had had and all that pain that she had 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 gone and she was taller. And for the next, I think she, did she live another two years after that, something like that? And, and she didn't have any problems from then on with, with that, that problem because God is a God of the impossible. Now, you can say, well, you know, what, what do, how do I know that's right? Well, because Anna's here, you can ask her. Anna's mum is a medical doctor who wrote down the testimony for us. But also, you can look on our Facebook page, you can see miracles happening there on video. Why? Because God is a God of the impossible. And we need to be carriers of that belief, that faith. To be carriers of that faith, we need to be able to see things that are impossible and expect God to do them anyway. That's how it works. So, powerful people on a mission, people who know who they are. Fourth thing they are, ecclesia. Okay, you, you're going like, what the heck is that? Well, if you've been around over the summer, you know what ecclesia is, and I preached a whole talk on it. But it's basically this. Some of you will be aware that the, the first person to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the saviour of the world and he was sent for that and to speak it out was Peter, one of his followers. Because Jesus asked them, who do you think I am? And Peter blurts out, as he does, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says um, in Matthew uh, 16, verses 17 to 19, he says, basically, you haven't got this naturally. You couldn't have worked out that, that that's me. You didn't get that revealed to you by flesh and blood. Nobody came along and gave you 26 irrefutable proofs that I am the Christ. And that's the problem, you see. You see, we, we live in an intellectual city, city that wants 26 irrefutable proofs. And Jesus said, it don't work that way because you're never going to win anybody that way. You might win one or two, but that's pretty small for my kingdom. So let's not do the natural flesh and blood arguments. Let's, let's, let's sideline that. Let's short circuit it and go for the supernatural. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father direct from heaven told you who I was, who you were by supernatural revelation. I also say to you, you are Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. That word church there, what do you think of when I say the word church, now if you were here over the summer, you know what the answer to that is. But you generally think building, and if you are uh, sort of a bit more enlightened, you think building full of people who are believers. And if you're a bit more light, enlightened because you've heard this before, you go, well, the church isn't the building, it's the people. That's correct. But basically, ecclesia, which is that word translated church, that word church only appears in the 1600s, because King James had that inserted into the translation because he wanted to maintain the ecclesiastical structure or the church structure that was in place. So he put it in. It's not what the word means. Ecclesia means carrying the authority of government. People called out in order to exercise the authority of the kingdom. It was based on the Greek ecclesia, which basically means this. You are a mobile carrier of the authority of the kingdom of God. And where 
in this old assembly that they used to have in Greece, and the Romans adopted it, if you were a member of that assembly and two of you met together, you were able to rule on behalf of the kingdom, make rulings and judgments on behalf of the kingdom, and exercise that authority in any bits of the empire. And Jesus is saying, you, guys, you remember like how these Greeks guys operate and then Roman guys operate with this ecclesia, and you know they can go there and they can operate with that authority. I'm going to have one of those for me. And I'm going to, I'm going to call it my ecclesia. So that wherever two or three of you meet together, there I am with you. So you can expect the kingdom to manifest wherever you are, not just when you're all together in church. So the, 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 the kingdom believers, kingdom people, expect the kingdom to manifest in their lives even when they're not in church. Because church never came into it till King James got his hands on it. Now, I'm not knocking church. I think church is incredible. I think it's a gift of God that we can get together and we can share and we can equip and we can train and we can give testimonies and we can worship together. Something that happens corporately that you cannot have as individuals. And it's incredibly important. But if we can't sacrifice mobility the rest of the week as a mobile uh, carriers of the kingdom of God because we've got church on Sunday. But equally, we can't go off as mavericks on our own and not be part of a body. Both are, uh, God, the, the New Testament designs it for both because that's how it works. There's a corporate anointing, there's an individual anointing. So Jesus is saying this. In this passage, he's saying basically, I'm setting this up so you've got the keys. What does that mean? What do keys do? Keys open doors. They open pathways. They open gates. Um, we were a little bit later setting up than normal this morning because we were given a new set of keys this week and unfortunately it didn't open the cupboard with all the equipment in. So we had a, a big flap and we, we, we prayed and believed God for the impossible. And the impossible happened. We got one of the caretakers out of bed to come and open the doors this morning. So if you know the caretakers here, you know that's believing for the impossible. Uh, it was their fault. They didn't. Gi they gave us the new keys, but he didn't have the keys to the cupboard on. And so the way this works is simple. If we've got the keys, we can open the pathway between heaven and earth. We open the door between heaven and earth. We we are the key carriers. We can have it shut. We can have it open. So we are like a, a bridge or a door between the realities of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And our job is to bring heaven to earth. We sang about that this morning. So as kingdom people, we bring heaven to earth. Have you ever thought of it like that? Our job is not to survive earth. I know this might be a bit challenging. Some of you are going like, oh, oh. I wouldn't have come if I'd known he was going to talk all this stuff. <laughs> but this is the reality of the kingdom. The problem is, if you've been in church for a long time and not heard any of this stuff, it can sound so uh, different that it, it requires a big leap. And I'm going to believe God to do some big leaps in people this morning. Because this is the reality of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I am superior to what you see. Therefore, Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're suffering, whatever you're struggling with, there is hope. And there is change coming. Because I am the king of the kingdom and I have given you guys to operate the kingdom on, on my behalf and bring heaven to earth. For those of you who never heard that before, or it's new, I'm going to prove it to you. Because one of the things that most of us have done for most of our life, if we grew up in England, is said a prayer regularly all the way through our life. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And how does it start? Jesus taught his disciples to pray this. He goes, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
This is what Jesus is telling them to pray. He's saying, guys, you pray for this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying your prayer life should reflect that desire to bring heaven to earth, that the kingdom of heaven, things on earth start to look like they look like on the kingdom of heaven. And how is that going to happen? That's going to happen because you know who you are. You know that God is there with you and that the impossible is always subject to change. Whatever is happening is subject to change. And there's a change agent called the power of God that can change anything. And Jesus is saying, I want you guys to believe that. And then I want you to start doing it. So they're Ecclesia. Now, the last thing they are. So powerful people on a mission, know who they are, Ecclesia. This is, I think, I think this is the, the real one for me. Is this, that they are righteous but they aren't religious. In that passage in Acts that I've done all this from, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to hear that. You're going to be my witnesses. Okay, you're not getting it. You're going to be my witnesses. You are not going to be my judges. You're my witnesses, not my judges. You see, when you go into a courtroom, like the courtroom of heaven or earth or wherever, you've got various characters. You've got a judge, you've got a prosecutor, and you've got the witnesses. And Jesus is saying, the other two bits ain't you guys. And the trouble is, we built religion and church life of looking down our noses at other people. And you know, you've all encountered Christians like that, that who look down their noses, who say all the right words, but you always go away feeling like you're inferior to them. And they do all sorts of complicated ceremonial things and they pray in all sorts of ways that you can't manage to pray in and they dress in certain ways that you go, I can't dress like that because my daughter would be ashamed of me. <laughs> and, and they do all the stuff and, and they stick to the same routines and, and it all gets religious and it breeds that religious heart. And there's a big enemy and everybody needs to repent all the time and be made to feel miserable and horrid about themselves. Jesus said, ain't your job, guys. Your job is to be witnesses to me, and I died on a cross for those people. Yeah. You are just the same as they are, and if they're not a believer, you're still the same as they are. Take me away from you, and you're still the same. You're a sinner, and you're saved by grace. They're sinners. They haven't got access to grace yet. You're just the same. Take the grace away, which I could do at any time, because I'm Jesus. You're exactly the same as they are. So stop looking down your noses at them. Stop pretending you're better and stop judging. Because what you're meant to be is a witness to Jesus. And Jesus works like this. He says, Guys, if you start to follow me, you're going to change anyway because you're going to desire to be like me. You're going as to, you, as you know how much I love you, you will love me more. You keep your eyes on me, you will stop sinning. You will start walking like me. You see, the, the, the Bible says that the job of the Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into the likeness of Christ. And he does that by his word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that by beating people up. He does them by power. His power. So believers, kingdom people, are righteous and not religious. That idea of being a witness brings me back to the first thing, is that 
about being powerful people is that if you're a witness, there should be some evidence. There should be some evidence that Jesus has made a difference in your life. Not just evidence that you know about, but evidence that other people hear about and evidence that other people can see without asking. Jesus isn't afraid to let people see the kingdom before they can believe in the kingdom. We're just afraid of that as church people, that what if it doesn't happen for us? But Jesus says the method of the kingdom is let people see the kingdom before they have to believe it. So this, this is the nature of believers. Now I just want to finish with something that's even more important. Because Jesus says you can wrap all that up and you go, I'm a kingdom person because I can see all these things in my life. I can see the power of God operating in my life. I can see the kingdom manifesting. Uh, I can do all this. And Jesus says, if you do all that and you do it without love, I'm going to give you a zero on the scorecard. Because the most important thing is love. The most important work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is that we should love. Love God, love others. Remember, that's part of our mission. Love God, love others. And we have to challenge ourselves and go, well, how much of that is in reality in my life? You see, church, you know, we, get, we get to practice on each other before we get to mess it up with other people. That's the idea of church. That's the idea of meeting as a body so that we can care for each other, we can provide things for each other, we can look after each other, we can love each other. Now, that's harder than ever in our sort of transitory world we live in where everybody commutes left, right and centre, but it's still the calling of a church to be family. And that's really important. You know, simple things like about being family, your kids get looked after while you're listening to me. You may not think that's a blessing, but, you know, it's, it's kind of cool by me. I get to talk to an audience. But it's like this. Uh, Jesus said a couple of things about, well, Jesus said one thing about love, and then Paul summed it up. Jesus said this, that just, he said, a new commandment I give you, because they already had loads of commandments in, in the Old Testament, and Jesus said, I fulfilled all those. Now, I'm going to give you a new commandment. New commandment's this. Love one another in the same way I loved you. Lay down your lives for each other. Sacrifice for each other. Believe the best of each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. And more than anything, more than the power, more than the seeing the miracles, more than anything, that's what Cheryl and I and the rest of the leadership team want faith life to be. A family who loves each other. And that, that, that can be difficult. Families don't always like everything other members of the family do. But in that, we need to approach that differently than the world. You see, when we don't think this is actually the perfect way that I want church to be or the perfect way or Mark did this or whatever happened and so-and-so did that and they're not very nice people and all that sort of stuff. The sort of stuff that goes on in a normal family. As kingdom people, we love and we stick and we walk through it. We don't throw our toys out the pram and say, I'll go and find another family I'm happy with for a year and then fall out with them. Because that doesn't do anybody any good. We love and we build that culture of love because the, the hallmark of the kingdom isn't the power. The power lets the, the world see the kingdom. The power changes the circumstances we're in. But the hallmark of the kingdom is will those who are kingdom people, believers, will they love one another? Because Jesus says this, this is how all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I find it really interesting that he didn't say, this is how all men will know your disciples, you're my disciples, because you study the Bible. 
or you've been to Bible school, or you go to the prayer meeting, or you saw somebody heal last week, or you did this, or you're in the worship team, or you've, you've seen this amazing thing, or that person got delivered. And that isn't what will get people to stick. And that isn't what will get people to grow. Jesus says, the thing that I want people planting into is a body of people who love one another. You see, in faith life, we're not trying to build a church. And this, this can be often mistaken and lead us to do st stuff that's not very helpful as individuals and sometimes as a body. But we're trying to build people who love one another. And, and the hardest thing is to, to communicate that. And then, you know, one of the things I said last week was about FTI. No, not last week, two weeks ago. FTI is the biggest reason nothing happens. You can have the best plans, best ideas, best strategies, best organisation, best management, everything. But FTI will always stop you. FTI is this failure to implement. And so the only way we can become a people and a family who love one another is to be individuals who resolve to love one another. And Jesus said, if I can find that sort of body of people, that's the sort of body of people I will plant my kingdom in and I will give salvations to. Why? Because you can be trusted that if you plant somebody into a body of people that loves one another, that is a healthy place for others to grow. That is a healthy place to see lasting change in somebody's life. Other than the pattern many of us have seen is somebody will make a commitment, come to church for two, three weeks, and then disappear. Why? Because they didn't encounter people who did what it said on the packet, which is we love one another. Let's see how important Jesus makes love and, and what Paul says about it. And I'm finishing with this. 1 Corinthians 13. You see, fortunately, there is a scorecard. And you can score or you can get nil. Fortunately, none of that depends on your individual ability, talent, gifts, intelligence, effort, anything. Because Jesus, Jesus through, through, the apostle, uh, through Paul, is going to say this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, basically super spiritually gifted, incredibly gifted person, but have not love, I have become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You know, the, the sort of people that tell you how gifted they are and how what many things that God does through them and all the spiritual gifts they have and the talents they have and that sort of stuff. Jesus is saying is, if you do that, operate in those gifts that I have given you, but your motivation isn't love for others, then the net effect of that is the way you sound to each other and the way you sound to the world is like a discordant off crashing note that nobody wants to get near. And then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, understand how the kingdom works, and though I have all faith, now, how many people would like to have all faith? That, like, I can believe for anything and see it happen. I, yeah? Move mountains? Yeah. That sort of thing? Yeah, we would all like that. So let's just imagine for the minute we had that sort of faith. We'd, be, we'd think we were pretty spot on Christians, wouldn't we? Like, we could go like, oh, I think I'll just move those goalposts out there five yards. I'm going to believe for the goalposts to move. Okay, they haven't moved because I haven't got all faith. They haven't moved, have they? <laughs> no. Um, but Jesus says, basically saying, even if you've got that, but you haven't got love, not it counts for nothing. But actually, when I looked at your character, you were nothing on my scorecard. Because love is the most important thing. Love for God and love for others. Now, let's just finish that passage. And though I be sold all my goods to feed the poor, so you do lots of charitable work, you give all your money away, you look after homeless people, destitute people, all the rest, and though you do the ultimate sacrifice, not many of these in the UK at the moment, but millions around the world, you're burnt as a martyr. 
But if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. So Jesus is saying, you can do all these religious things and you can have all the power of the kingdom at your disposal, but the main thing I want to see is, do you love one another? Do you love God? Do you love others? So, although as a church, we will always stand for kingdom people to be supernatural people, as a church, we need to take it one step further. We are kingdom people who are supernatural people who commit to love one another and to love others. But also, love and pursue God with all our hearts. You see, the first commandment, the most important commandment, is love God with everything you've got. So we're not passive believers. We need to be passionate believers. Passionate about the one who died for us, the one who gave his life for us, the one who suffered for us, the one who is there now, ruling from the kingdom of heaven on the throne, seated is next to him, and he's saying, come on, come on, family. Let's go and change this world. Let's show them my love. Let's show them who I am. Let's show them what I feel about them. Let's show them how much I care about them. Going after God with all our heart. That's what kingdom people are like. That's what we need to be like. We will never exhaust the ability of God to change the world around us. But we also need to give everything we have in loving him. Amen.